Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano. Thanks for joining me for this special end of the year episode. Now, I talked about this episode that I was going to be recording it. I actually started and stopped and started and stopped several times. Now, by the end of the year episode, by saying it that way, I simply meant that it was going to be the last podcast episode for 2023. However, now that we are in the end of December, it literally became the end of the year episode. I just had so much information I wanted to share with everyone. And then more information became available that I felt was more timely. And I wanted to sort of summarize a few things, but I didn't want this to be like a two hour long episode either. So as I've said over the years, this is the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business, one with less of all of the things that we don't want. And that statement right there has become more pronounced in my mind and in my consciousness than ever before. Because when we look at things like moving parts, it's not necessarily the number of moving parts. It's how the number of moving parts affects us. A lot of businesses have a lot of moving parts, but the parts more or less take care of themselves. They're automated. Maybe you use 20 pieces of software, maybe you use five. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that it doesn't affect you on a personal level where it begins to stress you out. So too many moving parts is probably more defined about what's creating stress in your life, what's robbing time, what's robbing focus and energy from you. Now, we couple that with a high overhead. Now, high overhead is just one of those things that is impossible to do without in many types of businesses. I mean, many types of businesses just require for you to have a lot of expensive, pieces in place that you have to pay for month after month, that will create a certain kind of stress. Some of my clients have that. Now they do the business, of course. But on the other hand, in the back of their mind, they're always wondering about the what ifs because they have to pay so much money each and every month. And I guess it's relative to what you're used to spending each and every month. Somebody may be spending twice as much as you, but they're making 10 times what you're making. And so in their mind, their overhead is fairly low. And of course, headaches. That's something that seems to work against us independent of whether we're doing business ourselves, whether we're entrepreneurs, whether we work for other people, whether you're a student or whether you're retired or anywhere in between. In between, It seems that life has quite a few headaches associated with it these days, not the least of which is the increased cost of living. I like sometimes listening to the news pundits talking about inflationary numbers. Oh, this number just dropped and this number is looking good and all these numbers are looking good. And yet, day after day, when you go to pay your bills, whether it be your grocery bill, your fuel bill, your insurance bill, none of those things seem to be affected or going down as a result of some number that somebody was advertising or talking about in the media, on the TV. And so a lot of times, I think that it's just important to recognize that your individual experience is what counts for you. What matters is, is your economy good? Is your economy flourishing? 
Is your overhead high or is it manageable? Do you have a lot of moving parts or no? And you make adjustments based on your own experience. So like I said, we're living through a time where headaches or the potential to have them are on the rise. And I think that the challenges that we face at this time in 2023, going into 2024, impact just about every area of life, not just the financial part. But when we look closely and isolate the financial challenges, when we look at those things, what do we see? Well, we are living in a time of unprecedented debt. And a change in the daily news cycle doesn't erase any of that. All of the previous world economies and empires have collapsed under a fraction of the debt the nations of the world are facing today. And one news cycle isn't going to change that. So thinking today, however, is no different than in past generations. Everyone thinks, or a lot of people think, it's just not going to happen to them until it's at their door. So we're experiencing record-breaking inflation with a direct connection to record-breaking debt. And most countries just continue to print more money. So the cost of thing or borrow more money, or both, if you're here in the U.S. So the cost of things like education and housing have gotten to the point where the current generation of retirees, not to mention those who will be following, will not, as a whole, enjoy the same lifestyle as their parents did in their retirement years, all other things being equal. The list of challenges could fill a dozen podcast episodes. The good news is that is not going to be everyone's experience, and it doesn't have to be yours and mine. Yes, we live in the same world. Yes, we face the same challenges, but we have the ability to make choices that will affect us on an individual level, on a household level. We can make some better choices, and we don't have to have the same type of experience so much as maybe a lot of other people are having. Matter of fact, I believe that entrepreneurs, self-starters, online business owners are suited for this current climate much, much better than the average person going through, let's say, just the standard education system of our time and then just going out and getting a job. Now, in the past, you can go to college, get a degree, and you were practically guaranteed you know, that you're kind of more or less set for life. But today, that's a thing of the past. We've been hearing about this kind of thing for years, but this is the reality in full manifestation that we're seeing in the world today. Now, it, along with AI, isn't something that is coming down the line. All these things are already here. And in every year that follows, we're going to see all of these things impact job markets in a way that I believe would be kind of like, you know, you hear the stories about olden times when locusts would come and they would eat people's crops and, and it just wasn't a good state. That's what we see the world in today. Now, I'm sure you're not living under a rock. I'm not telling you anything that you probably don't already know. Maybe you don't like to think about it. Personally, I don't like to think about it, but I do have to think about it enough so that I can deal with the terrain that I'm facing, the terrain in front of me today. And so that was one of the reasons why, and this is the terrain of the 2020s, you might as well say, most of this began in 2020. I mean, it was all at the door leading up to that, but actually it came to pass in, in the 2020s. But on the other side, I believe that entrepreneurs, the people who are willing to step out, the people who are willing to take a chance and provide products and services to whatever market they're in, they are the individuals who can escape the low 
income, a low wage trap that's become the norm for the masses living here in the U.S. as well as elsewhere throughout the world today. You have all of the tech you need to provide whatever kind of product or service you want to create. The difference is, in the time that we're living in, I believe that you just can't blindly follow a popular path that someone else lays out for you the way you may have been able to have done in the past. You have to recognize, number one, the uniqueness of your situation. What country are you living in? What challenges are you facing as a result of living in that country? Sometimes we compare ourselves. People in the country have a way of comparing themselves with people living in the city. And they're wondering why they're not making as much money because they're different. They're working with a different type of clientele altogether. So you have to recognize the uniqueness of your situation. You also have to realize that you're not stuck in your situation, not even by location anymore. So just because you're living in a certain area, maybe lower income, doesn't mean that you have to accept the fact that you have to just more or less work with stagnant wages. The next part of your situation happens to be your experience. Where are you on the experience chart? Are you just getting started out? Have you been doing this for years? Are you quote unquote, you know, one of the, one of the original from back in the nineties or, you know, where are you? And so your experience can give you and whether you're just starting out or not. I don't want to say just starting out. Most of the people listening to this podcast aren't just starting out. You've been a while. You may be starting a new project. You may be starting a new business, but you're not 20 years old anymore, right? You have obligations, you pay bills, you do all of that. But maybe you have children who are just starting out. This could, information can be useful to them. But if you're, if you're just starting out, there are some advantages that you have. Now, I'm not talking about the 20 year olds again. I'm talking about new business, new projects, you bring experience to this project that is head and shoulders above many of the projects that you've done in the past. Every time you do a new project, you get a little something extra that you didn't have before you did that. And all of that adds up over time. All that makes you more capable today. The version of you that exists right here, right now, going into 2024, is more experienced than any version of you that's existed in the past. And that's a good thing. And you can keep growing that. Okay, next is timing. Timing and everything else. You know, timing is just one of those things that led me to make some of the decisions that I made this year, such as stopping everything that I was doing in order to take advantage of some offers that had come my way to take over some marketing campaigns and websites and things of that nature that paid extremely well. I wanted to be able to put 100% of my focus into doing these jobs, knowing that this would give me the opportunity to really do some of the things that I had wanted to do financial-wise that would have taken longer had these opportunities not come along the way they had. Now, here's the thing about opportunity and timing. Sometimes the window stays open a lot longer than others, and some opportunities are here and gone in the blink of an eye, and other ones become a new way of life. You just don't know what's going to happen until you step into it. One thing I have learned however, is that thinking about it, mulling it over, debating it endlessly isn't going to help you. In fact, if you think about it too long, you'll miss the window. You'll miss the timing. And so that is huge. Timing is everything. I've come to respect it. 
probably more today than ever before because I have no control over timing. So some of the things that have come my way, had they come my way at a different time, wouldn't have benefited me. So I just thank God for being in the right place at the right time when it happens. Because again, it's not something that you can always get right. You, you see things, it looks like it's about to play out, and then it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. And then suddenly you assume, okay, well, that nothing's going to happen with this, and then suddenly happens. So what I'm trying to say is there's not a clear path that we can just throw out there to everyone and say, this is what the next generation needs to do. This is what you need to do. There's just principles that you have to apply to your individual circumstance. If you're just getting started on your entrepreneurial journey, you may need to keep a full-time or part-time job while you're starting out. While you do your other thing, maybe you consider this a side hustle, getting started in the world of business. Maybe you have a family with children that you're trying to support. Maybe you've done it in the past and failed. People become gun-shy. Here's one thing I've learned. When somebody tries to start a business and it's not paying their bills, and their business fails. And what happens usually is they become conscious of the other successes around them. They compare their failures with other people's successes, and that takes them down even further, mentally speaking. So they get a job, and they do whatever they need to do to provide income. This is true of entrepreneurs with young families and so on, especially so, because you have children to support. If I was in that situation, it would be the same for me. It doesn't make any difference. You got to do what you got to do to put food on the table, right? You got to, if that means working for someone else and putting your dreams on the shelf for now, well, those are the sacrifices that people make for their family. That's nothing new. But then what happens is that when the person's with the other company, they gain some insights, they gain some experience, but they're gun shy about getting into the entrepreneurial space again because of their past experiences. Well, that's like saying, you know, I had a relationship at one time, it was really good, but it ended poorly, you know, whether you were married to the person or not. And therefore, when I go into another relationship, I have that first relationship in the back of my mind, and I'm living in the past, and the past begins to affect the present. And so what you want to understand is you're not that person anymore, right? And the things that really hurt you way back when aren't hurting you. That's not happening to you now. You can't live your life as a victim of failure. Right? You, may have, you may have failed in the 90s, you may have failed in 2000, 2010, wherever. That doesn't mean that the story ends in failure. Because with each failure, you gain some. You know, Unfortunately, sometimes we learn more by the things that don't work than we do by the things that do. And that prepares us for where we're going at the end of the line. Maybe you're not the kind of person that believes in destiny or that certain things are just destined to happen to some people. Abraham Lincoln seems to be one of those people that if you want to make an argument for persistence and destiny, with all of the failures that he had leading up to his ultimate success and becoming the president and the place that he has in history, he kind of stands there as a unique figure. Thomas Edison is another guy. Moses from way back when is another guy. People of destiny that kind of like failed in the earlier parts of their life. We could look at Grandma Moses. You remember her? She became famous at the end of her life. Colonel Sanders, late bloomer. 
right? Collecting social security at the end of his. So I'm not saying that you're going to be these people, but I'm saying the pattern is there. You can't deny it. And so what's to keep you from not having that kind of story, enjoying that kind of story yourself if you fail before, right? You can still succeed. So I just want to encourage you a little bit along those lines. Again, the version of you that exists right now has more experience, more insights than the younger versions of you have had in the past. And in the real world, let's forget about online for a moment. But in the real world, most businesses don't get established overnight. I forget about the people telling you how much money they're making per month and trying to entice you with easy money sales pitches. Now ask yourself, why are these people making videos, sending out emails several times a week to tell you about success? If you've ever done any of those activities yourself, writing emails, creating videos, you know it's all work, right? Now, I'm not against education, watching videos, reading emails, buying courses, or any of that. And I believe that on the same hand, on the same token, the more you do something, the easier it becomes. So the people who are making videos every day, sending out emails every day that arrive in your inbox, the people who are putting out YouTube videos every day uh, or videos on other channels, including YouTube, I mean, that's all work. But yes, it can feel less like work and you can hire a team. But when you look at the financial model of how something works, you have to ask yourself, would these people go broke if they stopped making videos? And in most of the case, the answer is yes. Would these people go broke if they stopped sending emails out on a consistent basis? Again, the question is more often than not, yes. If these people weren't posting on social media all the time, would they go broke? So just by looking at that, you know why they're doing the activity, right? Because it's part of their business model. And so whatever business model you choose, it's going to have to be something that you're going to I don't want to say be married to, but you're going to have to be really consistent in doing whatever it is that you're doing. If it's a service, it's going to be in providing a service. If it's creating videos, it's going to be in creating videos. If it's in running a membership site, it's going to be in creating membership content. And see, sometimes we don't realize how much work something really is until we get into the thick of it, right? The person that starts up the membership site doesn't really think about how much work it's going to be or doesn't really recognize how much it's going to be until they're in it. Same thing with people making videos all the time. You can buy the fastest, top of the line, whatever type of Mac or PC that you want, just load it with memory, blazing fast, and it still takes time to compile long videos, right? So I don't know, maybe hire somebody else to do that part, but you still have the scripts, you still have the editing. Yes, the tools make everything faster, better, but it's all still work. And a lot of times people say, well, that's why I got out of the service industry because I didn't want to be trading time for money. But if you're creating content, you're basically doing the same thing. It's just that you're looking at it differently. If you look at the time that goes into creating content, or working with the people who are creating content for you, it's still all time that you're not spending maybe doing the things that you really like. And so, you know, I recognize that when I had these opportunities presented to me this year, and I thought, I can't keep, I don't want to be doing this and then have to unplug, put on a podcast creator's hat and then do that. I mean, something's going to suffer 
either the podcast will suffer or the other work I'm doing is going to suffer. More likely, both of them will suffer. But on the other hand, when you can do things when you want to do them, when you have the inspiration. Now, this is a, this is kind of a slippery slope here. But imagine that you could create content whenever you wanted to create content, that you could create videos, that you could do the service, provide the service when you wanted to do it. Well, think about how much better everything would be. Think about you could design when you wanted to design or that you could record an audio or video when you wanted to do that, right? That changes the game totally, doesn't it? But of course, if people are going to be paying you to do this, you're going to build a business around it, you have to have some type of consistency. You have to have some kind of schedule. So I'm putting that all out there because most people think the grass is greener on the other side until it isn't. And it's not until you actually get there yourself that you're going to know for sure what's required of you. So the disclaimer is no matter what business model you choose, you have to show up constantly. So the online influencers of today, they're not disappearing for weeks or months at a time. And they can't. They're continuously putting out content. The service providers aren't disappearing for weeks or months at a time. They too are creating and providing the service. So I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm saying this to give you an even look at what it is that we have to work with. I'm saying this, I'm telling you this because the traditional idea of freedom is sort of like retirement, meaning that you want to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And I don't see anybody doing that. I don't see anybody except for purely retired people that are stepped away from all of it, right? Now, if you own your own business, most of the time, however, you can create freedom. You can create spaces and time by organizing your schedule to suit your needs. That's going to be different for everyone and that you can do. The service provider doesn't have to be doing the service 24-7. The service provider, the experienced service provider, let's put it that way, recognizes that he or she can do X amount of work. They sub the rest of the work out to other people or they have some type of automated process that does it, and that's their income. And somebody might say, well, what about growing that kind of business? What about scaling it? Well, oftentimes, the more you scale, the less freedom you have in in a lot of cases, unless we're dealing completely with automation. But recognize this, there's a difference between having, let's say, the Kevin Kelly model. Is his name Kevin Kelly, the one that said, if, you, if you're an artist or you do creative work, if you have a thousand people as true fans and they're paying you $100 a year, then that's $100,000 income. But away, getting away from that concept, the more people that you have, then the greater chance that something's going to go wrong. The more people you serve, then the greater chances is that more people are going to want your time. So if you get to a cap where you're happy with your income serving X number of people, then your business plan is more or less designed around maintaining that number every year, which means in order to be safe, you may have to add a few people here and there. So those types of businesses usually are made up of people that are at three income levels, low, medium, and high, or people that spend at three levels, low, medium, and high. Because if you only have high dollar high revenue clients and you lose one, then you could lose 25% of your income overnight. You don't want that. 
but yet you don't want, you know, 100% low paying where it's going to take you like a, you know, like a mobs of people in order to re- reach your income level. You want a little bit of everything. So if you lose a high paying client, your business isn't sunk. In other words, you can still keep everything going. Now, personally, I'm at the point in my life where freedom means more to me now than it's meant in the past. The older that you get, the faster you realize, or the sooner you realize that, wow, five years can go by in a snap of a finger. So you want to make the most of your time, but you also want to enjoy the things that are important. You also want to be involved in people's lives because if you have children, they'll be, they'll be grown up and gone in no time. They'll be teenagers in no time. They'll be going to school or whatever in no time. They'll be married and you'll have grandkids or whatever. But at this point in my life, the freedom is more important to me than the money. That said, I'm not going to turn my back when I weigh the options of, you know, can you take advantage of an opportunity or not? I live close to one of the top-rated beaches in the world. That's the Yesta Key Beach that's here in Florida. Oftentimes, it's recognized as the number one beach in the world. I, can, I can't compare it to the beaches of Portugal and Spain or what was the other place? Thailand has some nice beaches. But that said, recently... I made some changes to my own business. I've had the opportunity to work with some larger companies and organizations. Several of them have have come on suddenly one last year and then more opportunities this year, opportunity to practically double my income or more. And so I figured the way the economy is going, I don't know if that's going to last for 12 months, 24 months. I don't know. I have no idea. So, but I didn't want to turn my back on those opportunities. And I've had people ask me, Jim, is this still the solopreneur business model? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's how people recognize you because you're a solo brand. You've done business with other people before. And when they hire you to run a department, create a new department, take over their marketing campaign, take over their website, take over their design, do their social media, whatever it is they're hiring you to do, they're hiring you. Now, if you bring a team of people behind you, they don't really care about that. That's, that's up to you. They're paying you. You pay them, right? You pay your team. They're paying you. You're the one that you're the star in their eyes, simply put. So, but let me take this solopreneur concept just down a notch so you can see how you can fit into this situation right now, regardless of wherever you happen to be at. Now, a friend of mine recommended me to a company that had recently hired her. They asked her if she knew someone that could do what I did with marketing websites and the like. Okay. Now, I didn't know any of this was happening. And due to circumstances beyond my control, I wasn't able to contact them as quickly as I normally would have. At the midnight hour, they were getting ready to hire someone else, but they decided to contact me for a quick conversation. At the end of the conversation, I believe I was invited to present them with a proposal. I think it was one or two conversations. And then they dropped the other person and decided to go with me. The same thing again happened with a national organization that as of this recording, it's also happening with another company. Anyway, all of this stuff started happening and the people were reaching out to me because of my reputation. And, you know, 
I just thank God for opportunities like this because this isn't something that you teach people. This is what you need to do. Here's step by step. Here's the blueprint. If there's a blueprint, it is to create a personal brand to gain visibility in the right networks. Now, here's the thing most of the decision makers, the biggest companies in, let's just say the United States, I'm just going to use the US for an example. I don't want to speak for other countries that I've never lived in and have never been to. You can decide if you're in another country, if this is the same in your country. They don't do a search online when they're going to hire somebody. They don't go on social media. They don't watch video. Well, maybe they watch videos, but a lot of times it's for entertainment purposes. They go to their network and they hire people that are recommended within their network. They hire people that are recommended to them by people that they already know, like, and trust. So this isn't like the early days where there weren't any established networks, right? Well, I mean the early days of the online world back in the 90s. We didn't have the networks that we have today in the 2020s. In the 2020s, we have connections here in the U.S., just like you have connections in your country, with countries from all over the world, with people, individuals that you've met online. You met and connected with individuals, solo individuals, who are, whatever label you want to put on it, brands, people that you trust their opinion. You trust their experience. You'll go to them first before you'll just do a blind search. And the companies that are out there who are paying people five grand a month to do their social media while you're charging $60 a month to do someone's social media or $100 a month, you might look at those people and say, well, how did these people get there? Well, they were invited there. They were invited to give a proposal. It wasn't, it didn't happen in a cold search. Now, does that mean all the content that you're putting out there is for naught? No, it just means that when the people do come and see your content, they're getting there because an individual, a person told them about you, then they're researching you, and then they find all the content that backs up the reputation that that other person, that one individual presented to you. So everything works like a large network. And the people who are struggling oftentimes aren't struggling because they don't have the skills. They're not even struggling because they're undercharging. They're undercharging because the people paying them can't afford or aren't willing to pay more money in that market. Each market has price points that that market will bear. Does that make sense? In other words, there are certain places right now where they are charging $6,000 for a one-bedroom apartment. Certain cities here in the U.S. New York is one of them. I think it's even higher than that in certain parts of New York and Manhattan. Now, you could say the reason why, as a landlord, you're not making enough money is because you're not charging $6,000 a month. So you try that in your town, in your city, in your market, and you get zero takers. Whereas in New York, there's a line of people backed up to get into those $6,000 one-bedroom little dinky apartments. I know it sounds crazy, but it's the absolute reality. The same thing goes with the people that you're doing business with online. If you're working for a big company, they will pay you probably five to 10 times or even more for doing the same job someone else is getting paid. Not enough. Let's just put it like that for it. It has nothing to do with talent, as people might think. You can put 
I don't know, 20 marketing experts in the same room. You can blindfold everybody. You can just have them write on paper a marketing plan and then compare them all. Take the personalities away. and you, You basically have the same thing from everyone. The information is really not that unique. None of it is. So why do some people get paid exorbitant amounts of money for doing the same type of service, maybe not even as good for someone who's getting paid one-tenth of that? It's because they are in a different network. If you are doing, I don't care what you're doing, if you're providing a service for someone who sells a $10,000 product, then of course they're paying more than the person that's selling a $50 product. Does that make sense? It's nothing to do with your skill per se or with your experience per se. It's who you're selling it to. And so if you want to make more money, it's not always about like people think. People are told that it's because your sales copy is no good. It's because your color schemes are off. It's because of all of that. I can show you people that break every type of rule possible, that have lousy looking websites, that have lousy sales copy, but they're making money hand over fist. Do you know why? Because they're connected with the right network. Does that make sense? That's one of the things I've wanted to get out, talk about on this show for so long and haven't for one reason or another is because people look at what they're making, especially men, women, not so much, but this is a trap that a lot of men fall into. They value their self-worth by how much money they're bringing home in their family. And they think that there must be something wrong with them if they're struggling to make $60,000 a year where this other guy online or woman is talking about how they're making, you know, Ten or $15,000 a month. And they're wondering why. Well, who are they selling the products to? Is, is, has something to, what type of network are they in? And so on and so forth. Now, certain, certain things that are highly valued or were highly valued in the past aren't highly valued right now. And certain luxury items really suffer during a downturn economy. We are in a a downturn economy for many reasons. Forget about the charts. Forget about what people are telling you on the news. Just think about what people experience in their everyday bills, paying their bills online, depositing money in the bank or whatever. At the end of the month, they have less money than they had in the past. Their money is not going as far as it did in the past. Everything is costing more. Those are the things that you're aware of. And that's one of the reasons why, again, If the opportunity does come your way to make more money at this time, at this point in time, as we go into 2024, you should seriously consider it simply because of the landscape or the terrain that we have to deal with today. Because at the end of the day, we really don't know what tomorrow will bring. So if you have the opportunity to make money, maybe you're doing something that you don't love or you don't want to spend 100% of your time doing. For example, I came out of the digital agency world where there it's all about getting more clients, bigger clients, and building that monthly revenue. Whether you're providing marketing services, SEO, advertising, a combination of all the above, that is a growth-oriented type of business. Not that all businesses shouldn't be growth-oriented, but it's a little more intense in the agency world because people are paying you more money, all things being equal. It's not a one-off type of service. And you have a lot of people out there competing with you. And so in in a way, it's kind of like being an athlete where you're as good as your last performance. And if you get into a slump, so to speak, then you can lose clients, you can lose customers. So it's a little bit different than some of the other business models 
where people thought, well, if I do this business model, I'll be more relaxed than like a digital agency, which is a good point. One of them is, for example, building membership sites or selling information or anything like that. But of course, marketing is involved in all of those things. You just don't have to deal with individuals the way you do in an agency type of business. And that's the difference in stress. But of course, no matter what you're doing, there is going to be some stress and you have to learn how to manage it. And one last word on higher paying clients. It may be worth spending a little bit of time with the AI of your choice and research what type of markets, what type of businesses sell products that go for a higher price point per transaction. So in other words, if you're working for a company and their average sale goes for Two or $3,000 or more than that. For example, someone selling automobiles, of course, you're looking at $20,000, $30,000, $50,000 per transaction and up. If you look at what industries have those types, and I would say start right about one or 2000 per transaction and up from there, then you have to realize that those companies are probably paying quite a bit of money for their website design and development. Those companies are probably paying quite a bit of money for their SEO simply because they're in an industry where they're used to paying that kind of money. And what happens with a lot of freelancers, especially new agency owners, people who are trying to build their personal brands, is they're connecting with people who are in industries that maybe make a few hundred dollars per sale or that have lower price points. And so when you look at getting paid what you're worth, if you're an industry that can't afford to pay you what you're worth, and and let me just talk about that just for a brief moment. Getting paid what you're worth means getting compensated for the time and energy that you're putting into the project or that you're putting into your process. A lot of people are frustrated because they know they're not getting paid what what they're worth, but you can't really blame the client all the time and you can't blame strictly your pricing either, because in certain markets, you will price yourself right out of the market if you charge what you're worth. Really, the solution to the problem is you need to be in a different market. Let me give you a a simple example, something that I thought of the other day. Roofers, for example, the price to put a roof on a home today is like double what it was five years ago. And if you're doing SEO in the roofing industry, or especially in the commercial roofing industry. And it's very expensive also in residential roofing. But you'll learn that they're capable of paying you what you're worth for results in that market. Now, AI would make researching this much easier for you. Researching what industries sell what kind of products at a higher price point. And then you can take a look at some of them and then possibly adjust your marketing strategy to target a different type of client, to target a different type of market. For example, here where I live in Florida, there are companies that sell AC services that have dozens of trucks on the road. Now, that's a different type of company than, let's say, the individual solo business owner who is basically doing the work with the assistance of one or two helpers. The company that has a dozen or more trucks out on the road can afford to pay a lot more for their website design, a lot more for their consulting services, a lot more for their ad management, and the list goes on and on and on. So rather than put all the emphasis back on you and think, well, 
how do I learn how to price better? Or how do I finally, how can I charge what I'm worth? How can I sell myself so that things are better balanced? And most of the time, what I've seen is it simply comes down to the industry you're targeting. Make that adjustment and everything else becomes much easier. And you'll be surprised how much more money you can make simply by working with a different type of clientele. But I do believe that in a perfect world, it's great to have a combination of clients and customers fitting into the small, medium, and large profiles, all three. It's great having clients for life, but it's just not possible 100% of the time. So it's good to know that if you, move, if you lose a larger profile client, that you have other large profile clients, as well as medium and smaller clients that balance things out financially. So that it's okay. If you have, let's say, imagine four clients, high profile clients, you're making quite a bit of money from all four of them and you lose one, you've just lost 25% of your income. So there's several ways to look at this. And this is one of the things that maybe you need to take a look at going into the new year. All right, let's talk about AI. I'm running out of time, but I want to talk about this. AI is going to be with us for the remainder of our lives. So it makes sense to learn how to start incorporating it into your existing workflow. The use of AI in stock trading has been around for years, but now even they've stepped it up. This is a great example because there have been automated trading systems that have been in place for a long time now, but now they're beginning to implement the different AI techniques like machine learning and natural language processing. And when that gets plugged into stock trading, then the algorithms are, it's incredible what they can do. They can analyze large, large volumes of data in seconds, make informed predictions, and execute trades with both speed and precision. So even though AI may be new to the online business world, generally speaking, it has been around for longer than a lot of people realize. And so you can use AI to do your research, to research more profitable markets, You can use it to, I'm even going to use it for my taxes this year. In other words, I'm going to ask certain questions. I'm going to get different types of insights, and it's going to be much faster, much more efficient. Matter of fact, AI would probably be faster than even using a calculator, just typing it as a word problem. I spent this this percent on this, and this percent goes to credit card fees. What would that be? What would the total be? I have X number of clients. What would the total be when you figure that into the equation? You'd probably get the answer faster than even using a calculator. But one of the things I also wanted to share was people have been asking me, my friends recently that I hang out with, if I still feel the same way about the business world today and personal brand building as I did back in, let's say, 2017, 2018. And I have to say, absolutely. Absolutely. Because of all the business models out there, This one offers more potential to more people than possibly any other business model that I'm aware of. And if you've been paying attention to what's been happening online over the past few years, you've may notice the increase in video platform type influencers telling you to build your personal brand, telling you to be your niche, to be your brand. And this is really the latest take on the story brand concept that made Donald Miller very popular back in 2017 when he wrote the book on story brand. Then he created a website, creating a story brand type of business that you could buy into. 
And he really went pretty far with it. But the story brand concept has been around for well over 100 years. It's just that it's had different labels on it. It's really like the same thing, but the same framework, but using different words, different labels to describe it. Because when people connect with you, oftentimes they're not just connecting with you because you're a nice person or you're interesting or what you say makes sense. But there's also a story concept that they find interesting and relatable. You come from a similar place. You've had similar experiences. And this is where you are on your, in your own story at this point in time. And people connect with that. And that's great. The other side of this, of course, is money. It's one thing to be popular. It's another thing to be profitable. People assume that if you have one, you'll have the other. And that's just not true. It can be true if you decide that you want, let's say, ad revenue from a platform like YouTube to be your primary source of income. That, however, if you're able to achieve it, can be somewhat risky for several reasons. It's possible to get demonetized for reasons that may be out of your control. Or one change in the algorithm could have a severe impact on the traffic that you're getting to your videos. Of course, you could make the same argument that basically the same thing could happen with your website or your SEO efforts. I've seen this kind of thing happen with YouTube people, YouTube creators, however. And it seems to go back to the argument that you shouldn't build your primary business on someone else's platform. Another good example of this is on Amazon. There are more than just a handful of Amazon horror stories that support this idea. Matter of fact, we were going to start an Amazon base business on the side and we got halfway into it. And then all of these horror stories started coming out. We started seeing things that we couldn't unsee. So we decided against it. I'm not saying that that's going to be everyone's experience. There's a lot of factors that go into this. You know, kind of like this is one of those to each his own type of things. But I think that when we start looking at the possibility of problems, whether it be on YouTube or on Amazon or with SEO or any of the above, this is where list building really can come in. Because even if you're not going to be sending out weekly emails or have a newsletter, at least if you have names on a list, that gives you that extra bit of insurance that you'll never be totally cut off from your audience in a worst case scenario when something happens due to circumstances beyond your control. So you have to recognize the balance. Now, if the majority of your buyers are spending time on a platform or your prospects, then of course, you should probably be there too. That makes sense. But you have to make sure you build a list eventually because it can ultimately become the most valuable asset as well as an insurance policy in the future of your business. Now, I know many of you didn't get as much done in 2023. Let me wind this down. I know a lot of you didn't get as much done in 2023 as you hoped you would. You do your client work and you have these ideas, but at the end of the day, you feel tired you feel burned out, you get into your side project, but the energy isn't really there. So you put it off for another day and another day and another day and the months go by and then you feel bad about it. You waste more time feeling bad about the fact that you didn't do anything. And that just burns even more time. Some people, they create content and by the end of the day, maybe they're creating content for clients. They don't have enough energy to focus on building what they consider to be their future, their 
dream business. Listen, this is a common problem. I would say more people have this than not. I've been there myself, and I even slip back into it from time to time. I look at what I have today. I look at the future. I'm in a position where I want to take advantage of some bigger money opportunities. That's what I'm doing in 2024. And we'll see where that goes. Maybe that'll last a year, two years, several years. We'll see. But in the back of my mind, I still have a picture of what the perfect business balance would be for me as time goes on and, you know, Lord willing, into semi-retirement years. And what I know about myself, I'm sure you've recognized it in yourself. On some days, I'm highly organized and I can get an incredible amount of work done. But there's also been times where several days go by, it's the end of the week, and it seems like and feels like that I have little to nothing to show for the effort. The only activity that happened wasn't actually on a website or on the computer, it was just in my head. And so you can find solutions, you can create systems and do whatever it takes to solve this problem. But honestly, I think there's a human element at play here that usually causes us to fall back into that rut again. I'm not saying that we get stuck in the rut, but the feeling of, well, I've been here before, you know, that's something that seems to repeat itself. It doesn't have to repeat itself constantly, but it seems to be something that's always kind of sort of there. Now, I've tried the strict schedule approach, being really strict with my scheduling. And what I found is that on certain days, certain weeks, certain months even, it can work wonders. But other times, other days, other weeks, it falls apart due to circumstances that are outside of my control. But that said, having something like a to-do list helps, I found, more often than not, writing things down and scheduling work times for things that just haven't been getting done does help more often than not. And so, you know, rather than beat yourself up about wasting more time, whether that be days, weeks, months, or even years, or even decades, if you've been in this rut for a long time, I think it would be better for you going forward in 2024 just to do some of the things that can help you more often than not. And don't beat yourself up because you don't stick to any one plan perfectly. Just know that little improvements here and there can really add up over time. And as far as discipline goes, there really aren't any perfect systems to make up for the fact that you're human. But your efforts, as I was saying, will most certainly add up over time. And it's different when you're working for yourself or doing a project for yourself than when you're doing it for someone else because the accountability factor is completely different. If I have to have something done by Monday or Wednesday at five or something like that on a project that I'm doing, there's a deadline, then I'm accountable to other people. I'm accountable to the people working with me or the person I'm doing the work for. And it's a completely different situation than when I'm doing something for myself and I told myself that I want to get something done by a certain time and a certain day, that if I don't do it, then... There's the, the negative is not as severe as when it's being done for someone else. It's not like when someone pays you for a product or service and you don't deliver it. Now, something like that happens, accountability kicks in really, really fast. But when you're only accountable to yourself, 
You have to learn how to win that internal argument with yourself, the part of you that wants to do something else rather than that project, or the part that says, I'm just too tired right now, or puts things off until a later time. Several times over the past few weeks, I've actually told myself, I'm not getting work done. I'm too tired. My eyes are tired. I just need to go and lay down for 15 or 20 minutes. And I've done that. I've gotten up. I've gotten more work done. I've even had times where I had a headache and I just went and I laid down for several minutes. It wasn't that the headache went away, but it just allowed me to get enough energy back to get certain things completed before I called it a day. And so I think there will always be that kind of internal struggle. You just have to learn how to make adjustments. You know yourself probably better than anyone, and you know the excuses that you'll make. And so you'll know going forward that there's basically two things that can happen. Either you're going to get the job done or you're not. And if getting it done means that you're going to follow an imperfect plan That means some days you're going to work really well and other days you're not, even though according to the plan, you're supposed to do this work every day. It would be better following that plan than to just sit on the sideline and lament the fact that you don't have the kind of discipline that you perceive other people have. I hope that makes sense to you. Anyway, I think that does it for now. Thanks so much for listening to this end of the year episode. I want to wish all of you a happy Christmas. Happy New Year's. Actually, it's supposed to be Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah if you're Jewish. If you don't celebrate the holidays, that's fine. I hope you have a nice time with whoever you're spending them with. And even though I'm officially putting this podcast as well as my newsletter on hold, and I plan to keep both of them on hold during the new year, 2024, I may very well publish an episode or send out an email, let everyone know what my experience has been like. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But as always, let me just say, if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead, share it with a friend, share it on social media, email the link, whatever works for you. So this is Jim Galliano signing off. I look forward to reconnecting with you all somewhere down the road, and I will talk to everyone later. Later.